Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, today we look at what Jesus teaches about what's going on inside our hearts and our minds and how that's bound to come out through our words and actions. Uh, This is what Jesus said. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I want to point out two laws, uh, two principles from this passage in the next few moments, and then lay out a couple options for your life and mine. Uh, Jesus starts with a point that is so simple yet profound uh, that people miss it all the time. Uh, What kind of fruit does a fig tree produce? (laughs) That's not a trick question. Uh, A fig tree produces figs. I know this is real deep. Uh, What Jesus is getting at here is what might be called the law of the tree, which is just this. What goes on inside the tree determines what gets produced outside the tree. Inside each of us is a constant flow of thoughts and feelings that are happening all the time. Uh, There's a stream of uh, perceptions and emotions and they take on certain patterns, certain tendencies, and they inevitably determine your fruit. Uh, Now fruit here represents your behaviors, your actions. But they're determined by that stream of thoughts and feelings that are going on inside of you all the time. Now, I believe this starts to get to the point Jesus wanted to make here in this passage. Our thoughts and our feelings take on certain patterns, certain tendencies that inevitably determine the fruit that we bear, the kind of things that we say and do. And when we do something or uh, when we open our mouths, We're just letting out the thoughts and feelings that flow inside the tree. People who do well at loving are simply people who have loving thoughts and loving feelings. Cranky people are people who simply have resentment-producing thoughts and feelings. This is what we mean when we talk about a person's character. Like what's happening on the inside comes out. Over the last several decades, uh, so many studies have demonstrated that what's happening on the inside is bound to come out, that the single most dominant movement in American psychology has come to be known as cognitive psychology. It's built around the idea that the way you think is the most important thing about you. Uh, It determines your attitude, it determines your emotions, it determines your uh, behaviors. Uh, Scientists have actually discovered that it determines whether or not you'll be vulnerable to illness. The inside of the tree, the flow of thoughts and feelings, is what determines your life. It is your life. Now, there's a fundamental mistake people make in spiritual life. 
And that is people aim at trying to manage behaviors, control behaviors, and they don't know how to take practical, concrete steps to allow God to change the, the constant stream of thoughts and feelings that flow in them all the time. The thoughts and feelings that inevitably determine what they do. They think I can just by sheer willpower override habitual patterns of thinking and feeling. But the goal, uh, Jesus's goal, is the law of the tree. It's the inside of the tree. It's the stream of thoughts and perceptions and feelings inside of you and me. That's the target. That's what must be changed, not just behaviors. And then Jesus goes on to a second law. Uh, the first law is the law of the tree. Uh, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. The second law is the law of exposure. Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. You see, we're storing up stuff in our hearts all the time. Uh, good, bad, true, false, noble, dishonoring. And the idea here is that your mind will think most about whatever you most expose it to. What enters your mind repeatedly occupies it and over time fills it. And then it's expressed in what you do and say, in your uh, character and in your life. Now, this is an interesting thing to me. Uh, no one who races a Formula One race car fills it with low octane fuel. Uh, no one puts low octane fuel in a high performance car. Uh, no one joins the Olympic team and goes on a Twinkie and potato chip diet. No one has a baby that they really love and then just lets it eat whatever it wants. You know, when our first child was born, the, the first year of Lily's life, I mean, Kathy would slice up and puree vegetables and fruit, and that's all Lily was allowed to eat. I mean, she was our first child, and first child parents are really careful. Uh, there's an old story that illustrates this. The pacifier falls out of the firstborn child's mouth. The mom picks it up and puts it in a, boil, a boiling hot uh, pot of water, you know, sterilizes it, pulls it out with a, a set of tongs and kind of waves it around to air dry before putting it back in the child's mouth. Uh, the second born child drops the pacifier. The mom runs it under some cold tap water, dries it off on a dish towel and gives it back to the child. The third born child drops the pacifier. The mom picks it up, spits on it, rubs it on her jeans and sticks it back in the ch child's mouth. Uh, but as a general rule, we're very careful about what we put into something that's valuable to us. We know that what we put in it determines its performance and its well-being. Which is why it's so ironic that in the most important area of life, our minds, we sometimes disregard this piece of human wisdom. The law of exposure of what goes into our minds is as solid as the law of gravity. I mean, the law of gravity doesn't surprise anyone. No one steps off a ladder and falls to the ground and says, oh, wow, what were the odds of that? I never saw that coming. But people violate the law of exposure all the time. And people act as if it's a total shock. You know, we live in a culture where our children are exposed to an unceasing flow of violent images and highly sexualized images and images that stimulate the desire for more and more and more and more. And then we act like it's a surprise that we have a society filled with violence and sexual misconduct and greed. It's not surprising at all. It's utterly predictable. 
We have a society that says to women, you have to look a certain way. You have to be incredibly thin to be attractive. And then we raise a generation of young women who are bombarded by that message and grow up thinking, I've got to starve myself in order to be valuable. And we wonder, how did that happen? You see, it's utterly predictable. The events we attend, the materials we read, the music we listen to, the images we look at, the videos we watch, the conversations we have with people, uh, the daydreams we entertain. I mean, these are all shaping our minds and ultimately they're shaping our actions. They're shaping our character and, and they're shaping the person we will become. I want you to notice the way Jesus is teaching here. None of Jesus's statements are commands. He's not giving orders here. Jesus often teaches this way. He's simply observing that this is the way things are. A certain kind of fruit comes from a certain kind of tree. You will store up certain stuff and that stuff will come out. He's not giving orders. He's a brilliant teacher and this is often what he does. He just observes. Here is the way life works. And therefore, we can decide what we want to do with his teaching. And what we do depends on the kind of person we want to be. We will store up certain inner realities, and from there, the results are entirely predictable. And we really only have two options, uh, two kinds of minds that we can cultivate. And Paul describes these two kinds of minds in Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So the first option is to live according to the sinful nature. And the reality is, if you want to cultivate that kind of mind, it's not that hard. I mean, just consider what you put in or don't put into your mind. Those who live according to the sinful nature go through a day, you know, and their mind is constantly thinking about, you know, he's more successful than I am. That makes me feel bad. I hope he fails at something. If he fails, I'll feel better. You know, what if my boss is mad at me? What will I do then? I don't know. So I'll just carry this cloud of anxiety with me all day. Hey, there's a girl running in front of me. I wonder if she's attractive enough that I can get a little jolt of sexual gratification just by looking at her. Man, I'm late for this meeting. The truth is, I didn't allow enough time to get there, but I'll tell everyone that I'm late because of traffic. I'll spin the truth to manage people's impressions of me. Wow, she's so intelligent. I feel threatened by her. I'd like to believe bad things about her. I'll probably spread them to other people. I mean, these are just a few of the thoughts of a mind that's living according to the sinful nature. Now, because all of us are fallen. We all deal with fallenness. The reality is we all have these thoughts from time to time. But if you live continually with this kind of mind, the moods that will dominate your life will be resentment or unresolved anger, anxiety, chronic fear, unsatisfied desire. Those are the moods that will dominate a mind from which God is excluded. And the key to maintaining this kind of inner life is found in Psalm 10.4. In their pride, the wicked do not seek him. In all their thoughts, there is no room for God. It's not hard to cultivate this kind of mind. All you have to do is avoid contact with anything that would get in the way of these thoughts. So avoid scripture. Avoid wise, honest people who know you deeply and speak the truth to you. Avoid the teaching of God's word. Avoid honest self-examination. 
Avoid contact with people in need who might actually move you to compassion. This happens to a lot of people. So many people in our culture don't take seriously what goes into their minds. Do you know the number one leisure activity in our society is watching TV. For some people it's YouTube, for others it's Netflix, uh, for others it's sports. You know, if watching TV is where you spend most of your time, it will fill your mind with certain thoughts. Robert Putnam has researched this and describes what type of fruit is produced in people by chronic TV watching. Uh, he shows the correlation of people's behavior with whether or not they say, TV watching is my primary form of entertainment. When I have some time on my own, that's the primary mental storage activity that I do. Putnam says that statement is the number one predictor of whether or not someone is likely to be involved in their church. People who say, TV is my primary leisure activity are unlikely to be involved in worshiping and learning and giving and serving in a community of faith. It's a direct correlation. Now, mostly what you have to do if you wanna live this kind of life is to make sure there's no room for God in your thoughts. And in our culture, that's not too difficult. I mean, just avoid being in places where you know God is at work. Avoid going to church. Avoid a community of faith. Avoid people who will speak the truth to you. Avoid serving. Avoid times of reflection and meditation. There are a lot of different ways you can do it, but if you wanna have this kind of mind, if you want to be dominated by these kinds of thoughts, mostly what you have to do is just make sure that in your thoughts, there's no room for God. And this is happening to a lot of people in our society. So many people in our society don't take seriously what goes into their minds. So in the time we have left, I wanna talk about how it's possible to renew our minds. That's what we'll get to in just a moment. I was recently reading through the book of Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy 1, verses 9, Moses is lamenting the burden of his journey, and he says this, At times, at the time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your, of your tribes, and I will set them over you. Over this Exodus story, Moses has watched the Israelites flourish and fail. And as he sits here in Deuteronomy, he is overwhelmed by the sheer size of the blessing before him. And so he calls for support. He gathers a group of trusted men, advisors, and he shapes the community he has been called to lead. It may seem like a weird story to share as we talk about these verses in Luke, but as Matt has been speaking and as he'll be teaching on the individual steps to cultivate a renewed mind, I can't help but think about how our individual steps are at times aided or bolstered when we walk with a community. A Formula One car, even with the right petrol or gas, doesn't run just because of a single driver. A driver is important and the right driver is important, but the team around that driver is also important. And the same echoes in our lives. My walk with God, my individual journey is important, but I've always found that my walk with God is better or easier or more understandable when I do that within a community. 
I found that to be true when I was in seminary and God felt void in my life. I needed my community to echo God's uh, assurance and presence and purpose, even in the midst of those dark days. And now here at Blue Oaks, I get to sit with our family ministry team weekly as we walk through the Bible and as God renews my thoughts and my heart, um, as my coworkers speak and interpret scripture and, and speak into my life. My individual renewal of my mind is in part encouraged and energized as I pair my individual renewal with a communal renewal. In a few weeks, we're going to launch our fall small groups, and I encourage you now to start thinking and praying about if and where God wants you to land in our small groups. I encourage you, no matter where you're at in your individual journey, to prayerfully consider a small group this season so that you, in community, can renew your mind and refresh your soul. Let's rejoin Matt as he helps us dive into ways we as individuals can renew our mind so that what goes into our mind and our, how, and our heart bounds with goodness. All right, in the time we have left, I wanna talk about how it's possible to have a renewed mind. And I wanna start with what does a mind controlled by the Spirit look like? Uh, think about the fruit of the Spirit. What are the first three characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, love, so instead of resentment, there's love. Uh, joy, instead of uh, discontentment and unsatisfied desire, there's joy. Uh, and peace, instead of anxiety, there's peace. And you can just use these as kind of a diagnostic test. You become aware of the thoughts that are running through your mind. Uh, those thoughts always have uh, feelings attached to them. They always do. And you can't feel your way into thinking differently but you can guide the flow of your thoughts and your feelings will change. And you'll find that your thoughts are always leading you either to love, joy, and peace or toward unsatisfied desire, anxiety, and resentment. They're always leading you to either one way or the other. And as a general rule, you can be pretty sure that the thoughts that are leading you toward love and joy and peace are being guided by the Spirit. And the thoughts that are leading you toward resentment, anxiety, and unsatisfied desire are not being guided by the Spirit. Here's a staggering statement that Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 2.16. I mean, think about this. This is what Paul says. But we have the mind of Christ. Imagine what it would be like if your inner life, if your thoughts and feelings, desires, perceptions, and understandings were the same as if Jesus were in your place. Imagine when someone hurts you that your immediate thoughts are not to inflict pain back on the other person or to uh, run and hide from that person, but to honestly and courageously seek authentic reconciliation. I mean, imagine if your mind worked that way. Imagine when someone succeeds, instead of comparing yourself to them or feeling depressed because they've succeeded more, feeling authentic joy at what they've accomplished. I mean, you just naturally feel the way that you would feel if you had succeeded. Imagine when you sin that you didn't respond by wanting to try to run and hide from it or trying to excuse it or spiraling down into this endless depression by beating yourself up over it. Imagine instead that when you sin, you respond by having an appropriate level of pain because you know that you've grieved God and possibly hurt another person. And so you confess it openly and honestly to God and you desire to do whatever it takes to set things right with whoever you may have hurt. And you learn from it. And then you move forward confidently, assured that God has forgiven you and that he still loves you. I mean, imagine feeling 
confident instead of anxious and generous instead of selfish and rested instead of fatigued and patient instead of irritable, loved instead of lonely. Imagine what that would be like. Don't you wish you had the mind of Christ? Well, this kind of mind is the absolute key to spiritual transformation. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Of your mind, a new inner life of thoughts and feelings and so on. So I wanna challenge you today about having your mind renewed. And I wanna talk a bit about storing up good things from God's word, the thoughts of God from scripture. I wanna challenge you to immerse your minds in scripture, in what's good and pure and noble. And I wanna give you an example of what this looks like. You know, the classic language for this is the discipline of study. And I hate to mention that word because most people don't have wonderful, warm connotations when they think of the word study. Uh, most people think of uh, classes and teachers and grades and tests, and it's not something that we wanna do. So we just need to get rid of all of those ideas about studying, okay? I wanna to talk to you about how do you open your mind to things that are good and pure and noble and wonderful that will lead you to love and joy and peace. And I'll give you a picture of this in the life of a real person. Uh, this is a woman who had never been to church before. Uh, she had a young daughter and someone invited her daughter to church and her daughter became a Christian. And the mom was very upset about this. She was not happy about this at all. And so she went to bed one night and she woke up at midnight and she couldn't sleep. And she decided that she wanted to read the Bible. She had never, uh, to her best remembrance, read the Bible in her life. And so she dug around their home and found a Bible and she opened it up. Uh, she looked at the table of contents. She saw that there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. She had no idea what that meant. She figured the New Testament must be like the updated version. And so she turned to the New Testament and started reading through the Gospel of Matthew. That was at midnight. And she just kept reading. At three in the morning, she got to the Gospel of John, and that's when she said that she began to fall in love with Jesus. And she got down on her knees, and she made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of her life at three o'clock in the morning. Because in utter stillness, in utter solitude, with nothing to disturb her, she became utterly absorbed in Scripture, the words and the thoughts of God. Now. This is a sad thing to me. Too often, people who have been around the faith for a while and have been around the church for a while forget or neglect to take leisure chunks of time to just immerse themselves in Scripture. One thing a lot of people got right in Jesus' day is they loved Scripture. They loved the Bible. They loved the, the thoughts and, uh, and the words of God. So let me ask you, when was the last time you wanted to be with God so much that you made time and space to read in an unhurried, unrushed, unfrenzied way through one of the Gospels so that you can come to know and love and admire Jesus more deeply? You know, in any relationship, you need some encounters with uh, that person that aren't rushed, where you're in the right setting and where there's no distractions. Uh, and that's, that's true in any relationship. And that's when that relationship gets real deep. And it's no different when it comes to encountering God in scripture. Now, it doesn't mean uh, you're gonna do that every day, 
But on some regular basis, you need to have an unhurried, unfrenzied, unrushed chunk of time to open up the Bible and read it and remember again why God is worth giving your heart to. So my challenge to you is, when are you going to do this? Will you make a commitment to do this this week sometime? If you're willing to do this, I want to give you two things to incorporate into your time of study. And these are both words that you're probably not going to like much either. Uh, so just get ready for that right now, okay? Uh, the first word is memorize. Uh, now, this is not about earning brownie points. It's not about impressing anyone or anything like that. It's simply about allowing God's thoughts to get absorbed deeply into your mind. And you just need to know that throughout history, the, that memorization of choice portions of scripture has been indispensable for the renewing of the mind. It's been indispensable. Uh, it had to happen in Jesus's day, for one thing, because of the literacy rate. Uh, what do you think the literacy rate was in Israel in Jesus's day? Now take a quick guess. I just read about this the last couple of weeks. According to historians, the best estimates based on research that they've done in the Mediterranean basin in the first century, they've, put, they've pegged literacy, uh, the literacy rate at about 5%. In Israel, they pegged it at about 3%. So 3% of the people could read. So how did people get immersed in scripture? They listened to the stories and they told the stories I mean, they would tell them over and over and over again. Do you ever tell a favorite story to a kid when they're going to bed at night and you get one of the details wrong? I mean, it was like that in Jesus's day. They knew the stories and they loved the stories. I mean, think about it. There was no internet, there were no phones, no radio, no TV, no social media, no magazines or newspapers or movies. And I'm telling you, they were immersed in the stories of scripture. I want to show you a clip from one of our family's favorite movies. It's called The Nativity Story. We watch it every Christmas Eve. Check this out. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God said, Stand on the sacred mountain. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great wind ran the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. You see, these stories were told so often that they were memorized. And the point of learning these stories wasn't to show off. It was about creating a really good tree so that love and joy and peace just flowed out of you. So I thought today I could help you memorize a verse of scripture. Uh, it's Psalm 16, 8. And this is what it says. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And now if it would be helpful for you to write that down, uh, write it down, write it down on a card, you know, put it on a note card someplace where you can see it uh, so you can fill your mind with it. 
uh, put it in your car, uh, put it in uh, on your desk, put it wherever you are the most. Dallas Willard wrote this. This is so beautiful. Uh, this is a slight paraphrase, but this is what he wrote. A mind controlled by the Spirit is one in which the glorious Spirit of Jesus is always present and gradually crowds out every distorted belief, every destructive feeling, every misguided intention. And I'm telling you, if we could just grasp and learn that one idea, and again, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but a spirit-filled mind is one in which the glorious, wonderful, lovely, joy-filled spirit of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, is always present and just gradually crowds out every distorted belief, every destructive feeling, every misguided intention. They just get crowded out. All right, so studying scripture, uh, memorizing scripture, and then the third word, you might not like this one a whole lot either, meditate. In Genesis 24, we learn Isaac went out to the field in the evening to meditate. What do you think he was doing? The word meditate scares a lot of people. It, it just sounds strange. It, it sounds like an Eastern thing. People wonder, don't Buddhists meditate? <laughs> yeah, they do, but they eat breakfast too. It's still a good idea. Uh, scripture has a lot to say about meditation. Psalm 1, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's quite a lot. Uh, Joshua 1, 8. Keep this book of the law always where? On your lips. Because again, most people were illiterate. How did they keep the scripture always before them? They had to say it, and they had to hear it all the time. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Meditating is actually quite simple. Uh, do you know how to worry? I mean, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. When you worry, you just let that thought come back to your mind over and over and over again. I mean, that's what you do when you meditate. You take one verse, I have set the Lord always before me, and then you start thinking, you know, what would it be like to set the Lord always before me when I wake up in the morning? when I go to sleep at night, when I have a problem, when I get bad news, when something makes me happy, when I'm tempted to sin? What would it be like to have God always set before me? And you begin to think, what would it look like if I were to wake up first thing in the morning and instead of being overwhelmed by how much I have to do or worried about something, I knew that God was right there with me. And as I greeted people first thing in the day, God is right there. And as I go to work, maybe something bad happens, something challenges me, or a project doesn't go well, or I have financial problems, but I have set the Lord before me. And then you go on. Because he is at my right hand, and that's the hand of action, that's the, the place of honor. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And you picture yourself going through your day not shaken. What would it be like to never be shaken? I mean, that's peace. That's never afraid or never anxious. You just live with that. And you move from information to desire. You know, I'd like to be never shaken. I, you know, I'd like to live that kind of life. And you move from desire to intention. You know, God, I want that kind of life. I'll do whatever I need to do to always set you before me. And the inside of the tree starts to change. That really can happen. This is what I recommend you do. Take one thought from the Bible early in the day and just live with it throughout the day. 
Maybe you take a thought that relates to something that you struggle with, like fear or anger or lust or a lack of peace. Just take one thought from scripture and then just let it stay with you all day long. Let it come back to your mind over and over throughout the day. Just keep bringing it back to your mind. And if you need help finding a verse, please let me know. I'll find one that's unique to your life and your circumstances. And then what will happen is that will move from your intention to worship. You know, study and immersion in scripture and meditation on scripture always leads to worship. You know, God, what a good God you are that you are always with me. Imagine what would happen if you were to develop a spirit-filled mind. Like imagine if our church, imagine if every small group was full of people with spirit-filled minds. Imagine what our behavior would look like. I mean, our behavior would reflect a mind that is renewed because you're filled with the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace will just be flowing from your life. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray as we think about these words, study and memorize and meditate, I pray that we would change how we think about them, that we would see them as, as tools to renew our mind so that we can live according to the Spirit, like Paul describes, so that we can live in love and joy and peace. God, would you guide us and help us to use these resources that you've given us to begin to transform the inner life, the inside of the tree, so that the fruit that gets produced on the outside will be the fruit of your spirit. And, um, and that it'll lead to so much joy and peace and love and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in our life. God, would you continue to use uh, these passages of scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, to kind of shape us and, and mold us into the men and women that you want us to be. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.